Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 609 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcast. Joe and Todd here. Todd, happy birthday. Wow, you're, thank you, and you have an amazing voice, Joe. It's almost like you should be an announcer or something. Yes. Uh, I was following the hashtag this weekend, Homelander and Todd's B-Day. <laughs> okay, fantastic. But more on all of that later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we record after dark before we record this. And I was like, oh, there's more stuff that I did this weekend that Todd doesn't care about. So that's why I didn't bring it up. I care about everything you do, Joe. How how deep would you like to get? Do you want to spend the first lean 20 minutes of the show talking about Pokemon Go Fest weekend with me? Um, I would listen, but not so much talk, if that makes any <laughs> sense. Well, uh, like I said, go find the tweet that me and my son put out of ranking our favorite to least favorite shinies oh, uh, okay. of Pokemon. But enough about that. Let's get into... Uh, this show, this very show that we're about to record, uh, there's more shakeups in the, uh, comic book industry. You know, I think, uh, Joe Quesada leaving Marvel a week ago has sent ripples through the entire comic book world, mm-hmm. uh, conventions this weekend. And, uh, strangely it was slim pickings. Uh, what we read last week, which was Nice House on the Lake, number nine, and Little Monsters, number four. What we're looking forward to coming out this week, uh, the results and next matchup in the Silver Standard, uh, the battle for second place, a.k.a. Uh, what did you call it? Todd and Joe go rogue. Todd and Joe go rogue. I got to add that to my notes. And uh, it's an interesting next-round matchup, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. is all I could say in regards to that. And uh, we have discussions of the latest episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi and the first three episodes that dropped this week of season three of The Boys. Mm-hmm. Should be a short show. You keep saying that, but I don't know if it's going to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a bunch of shakeups again in the world of comic books on the uh, not the creative side so much, but more on the who's in charge side of things. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so Matt Parkinson, a name I'm, I'm unfamiliar with, who right. was the vice president of marketing at Dark Horse uh, for like the last like 20 years, uh, is leaving. And going to Image. And by him doing that, everybody else remaining at Dark Horse just kind of moves up a level. Right. Um, So, again, interesting to see folks at a job for a very long time moving over to the competitors. Sometimes it's good to kind of get a... uh, some new blood into the system. Sometimes it's good to have a change of pace, a change of scenery. And uh, it stinks only because I feel as though uh, Dark Horse hasn't had much going on in the like last year. No, they seem to be like they were stripped a lot of their properties and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So it's you know they don't have the best of luck. Uh, they lost all the Alien and Predator stuff. So Star Wars, like that Conan, was, Conan. Um. That so that was like four big properties. Um, I know they have the Stranger Things, which is popular right now. Sure. Um, and other stuff, but 
you know, I, I, I don't really follow the back, you know, the, the, the editorial stuff. Cause actually we were talking today, we were trying to, somebody mentioned, you know, since, uh, Dan Didio left DC, like how many editor in chiefs they had. Somebody said they had three and I'm like, I'll take your word for it because I usually never know who's editing the books anymore. Back mm. in the day I used to. So I used to follow that stuff, but I'm getting lenient in my old age, Joe. So, um, obviously I don't think there are any editor in chiefs these days that are as boisterous as good old Dan was. Right. And I think he kind of taught a hard lesson to a lot of other folks. <laughs> True. And to not be Dan, which <laughs> for better or for worse, right? Gotcha. Um, you know, another one that we're going to be talking about, maybe in the same ilk, but not, he didn't go full Dan, you know? <laughs> Never go full Dan. Well, Dan can go full Dan again. I, I long for a Dan DiDio type, but we only need one. We don't need a dozen. Then it just muddies the market, right? Right. Well, he hooked up with Frank Miller, so you might get your wish soon. For sure. Uh, but Bill Jemis, who was over at AWA... Uh, not the uh, Midwest uh, wrestling promotion from the 70s and 80s, but the comic book company. And he is starting his own company called Be Good Studios. Right. Uh, and again, they're going to be, you know, uh, comics, but then they're also going to be, um, you know, they're essentially going to do what, you know, they're being forthcoming about what we say that Image would always do. With a book that's essentially just a pitch for a TV show. Right. And then it would be like the book comes out on a Wednesday and it's option for a TV show on a Thursday. And then it's a TV show that either never gets made or gets a second season and we completely forget that it even happened. Right. So they're just being more forthcoming and that sort of thing. But Bill Jemis was another one of those guys from the 90s and early 2000s that was kind of like a boisterous in your face. I'm going to take risks and I'm going to do these like grandstand challenges with Peter David and stuff like that. You know, right. The, you decide competition. If you remember, yes, I do remember. Oh, uh, you know who won I, that one? According to me, but go ahead. The fans. Oh, we all won. Yeah, no, it was Peter David and captain Marvel. I, I think I remember seeing in one of the Marvel books this week, there was an ad for like a new captain Marvel series. That's coming back. Right, it's the Genus Vell one. Yeah, well, in the ad copy, it says, the son of the original Captain Marvel is back. Right. Like, I don't know, like, if he was that big of a name, like, wouldn't his own name be big enough to carry the book as opposed to saying he's the son of the guy that you know better? Which brings me back to Dan Didio. Remember Dan Didio's philosophy? Why he got rid of Wally and he got rid of Kyle and he brought back all the like the 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 big original Silver Age name guys was because I don't believe in a character that you have to tell another person's origin or story to get that person like like Wally West, you'd have to say, well, he was the, he was mentored and loved Barry Allen, the original flash. And then he went to his lab and you're like, okay, so you have to tell Barry Allen's story to tell, uh, uh Wally West and Kyle, Hal Jordan's to tell Kyle's. So that's where we are with, uh, Genus Vell, by the way, the greatest Captain Marvel, as far as I'm concerned. So, and again, you know, we're kind of off the subject of this. It was a light news week, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but you talk about the editorial stuff and I think, think I know more who edits what at Marvel these days right. than I do who edits what at DC these days. 
And and part of that is in a lot of the books, especially like in a new book or a new number one or a new creative team coming on, you'll always get like a little prose piece in the back from whoever the editor is or the, at the very least the assistant editor on the book, right? Right. So I'll always just peruse those and I'll kind of like recognize the name where DC doesn't do that so much. Um, they'll do like those like little fluff piece interview things in the back of the books. Right. But those are more so with the artist, writers, et cetera, as opposed to the editorial staff on a book or a group of books, right? Right. Um, however, what you're saying in regards to Dan's philosophy, which I understand where he's coming from, that works for Marvel. But I don't think that works for DC because DC has built its character base on legacy. Right. Yeah, they're literally called the legacy heroes. Right. By that, but by Dan's logic, then there shouldn't be a Robin because you can't tell Robin's origin without telling Batman's or- origin. Which is right? why he hated Nightwing. Well, okay, no, no, no. So there's a difference between Nightwing and Robin, right? right. I understand why he hated Nightwing because the other thing was is because um, Nightwing is going to eventually be older, quote unquote, than Batman is, mm-hmm. and that was the problem. But if we just take out Dick Grayson. As the person, we just take the concept of Robin. The concept of Robin, according to Dan Dio, doesn't work because you can't tell the origin of Robin, no matter who's wearing the uh, pointy boots and Speedo, without telling the origin of Batman. See, I disagree on that one. He wouldn't have a problem with that one because they go hand in hand. Oh. You know what I mean? Where Flash, in his own story, like if you tell a movie, like you're not, if you do a Robin movie on his own, then maybe, but if you do Robin and Batman, it works well. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like I do, do but it? even when they did the new Titans TV show and Robin's in there, they had to like work Batman into it. Oh, don't get me started on TV shows involving Batman, but I get what you mean. Right. Hey, am I the only one who didn't see that trailer for whatever that new Batman TV show is? No, and I don't care because, as I've seen a lot of people say, like, I don't know what it is with the Batman property, but if you go down the list of all Batman in TV shows, Batman is either dead or retired. Right. And for some reason, I think, like, it's because of the the, the rights that, like, the movie rights or whatever. It's like, oh, and I'm like, I just hate that concept and somebody honestly on twitter or on social media somewhere was like here's all the project that bruce wayne was involved in in the last like couple of years and it's like dead dead retired you know broken back retired dead dead and i'm like oh just give me a batman tv show no because the batman movies make too much money i totally agree but if you could do a hundred of all the different other things you can do three batman things Mm, no, because <laughs> no, they would feel by doing three Batman things would dilute the one that makes them all the money. Except that they do a thousand Batman books because it works for them in comics. It makes Com- no sense. Comics are different than movies or TVs. I agree. And we'll end it there. We'll end it there. Uh, so, yeah, just uh, some shakeups there at uh, Marvel or Marvel at Image and DC, or Dark Horse. And AWA and Bill Jemis. I'm glad to see Bill Jemis still kicking around. Yeah, every once in a while I hear these names and I'm like, oh, that's where they are. Yeah. I th- everybody from the 80s and 90s is still around in comics for the most part. It's just they're keeping a low profile or they're doing stuff that we just don't hear about. Pretty much. So that's why when I see these names pop up, I'm like, oh, let's talk about it. I'm fine with it as long as I know that name. And I've heard of most of the names you said. Speaking of names that we all know. 
uh, it was a hit or miss. It was mostly, um, uh, was it celebrity conventions this weekend as opposed to comic book conventions this weekend? Right. So it was a little slim pickings, but there is a convention this weekend in Albany, not Syracuse, in Albany, where we have such folks as Keith Champagne, Ron Mars, Mike McCone, Paul Pelletier, Bart Sears, amongst others. A pure, unadulterated, unfiltered, strictly comic book convention in the city of Albany. Yep, and I was almost on the road with two of our friends, and we ended up uh, dropping out because uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez dropped out of the con. We really wanted to go up and see him. So Yeah, I saw he was on the list of canceled folks, you know, and that's right, still right. happening from here and there, you know? Yep. And listen, Todd, it's not like there weren't a bunch of conventions this weekend where there was zero to, like, zero to no comic book people, but there were wrestlers on them. And I did everything in my power not to put them on the list. I'm glad. Yes, I'm showing restraint in my old age. Mm, show more. Ah, uh, maybe. So, uh, other things you can check out, uh, which would be soontobenamednetwork.com, soontobenamednetwork.tumblr.com. All the shows in the soon-to-be-named network, anytime they go live, you can find them there. Whether it be this show, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, At Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, We Need Wrestling, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Hit My Music, Porch Talk, or Wings on Wings, which Todd was on again this week. That's right. The Carlton Blanchard. What? The Carlton Blanchard episode. I'm there for the three-part series, Joe. And more, you've been you you you're doing his three appearances, and you did another episode last week, right? On right, related, because I I come for the Blanchard, but I stay for the Wings show. Gotcha. And if and when that Helmet podcast gets off the uh, off the ground, the, I'm I'm going to say the second place you'll see it is going to be over at soon to be named network dot com, soon to be named network dot dot com. Uh, Tim Taylor was just saying this week that he has to shake that bee's nest. So. Mm. Oh, maybe I need maybe I need to shake Tim to shake the bee's nest. How about hey, that? He's the guy in charge of it. I'm just the talent. Mm -hmm. That's true. You are. Uh, so, hey, some stuff that you could check out. And they're always in the show notes. And sometimes I don't forget. I Or sometimes I don't remember to mention everything. Uh, but we're just going to go right up the list, right? Mm -hmm. uh, hey, be sure to check out Mike Sterling, West Coast. Uh, retailer extraordinaire's blog over at progressiveruin.com. Uh, go order that art book by Chris Schweizer that Todd picked up and liked very much. Mm -hmm. He half of uh, Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. Uh, go check out our friend Kevin's blog, Mask Library. He has some writings there of a book called Shady Lady and uh, the Offspring Volume 1 graphic novel new over on the site. Uh, you could also check out, uh, Rick Williams, the chop shop for those cool resin and glow the dark sci-fi fantasy wrestling things that he does. Uh, Jason Sandberg, Ju Jupiter, Chris Runt's battle monsters, uh, listeners of this show, longtime listeners of, the, of this show, both have self-published comic books out there. The links to those are in the show notes as well. Be sure to support the folks that support us. Uh, 
if you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, let our comic book shop be your comic book shop, Comics on the Green. I have the link up to their Facebook page, and that's where they do primarily most of their social media activity, whether it be new releases for the week, advanced pre-orders, or just general comic news and information. Uh, it all happens there. As mentioned, if you don't have a comic book shop in your area, you could certainly sign up for their mail order subscription service. Get your book sent to you weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, and however you do, there's a chance that you could get a sketch on the package from our good friend Becky. All her social media is linked up where you could see her process, her sketches, uh, the prints, and everything else that she does. Right. The weird mash 50s <laughs> romance comics that she loves so much. She absolutely adores those. I just saw, we talked about it a week or two ago, that the Tom King uh, Love Everlasting book is getting the image physical print run, you know? Right. And one of the variant covers for it is like a, it's a mock, it's a combination mock-up of a 50s Western and romance book. They should get her to do a variant cover, Joe. Listen, if, if that was in my purview, she'd already be doing it, right? Right. And side note, are you grabbing that book? Uh, yes, it's on my list. Okay, because it was on my maybe list um, because that slides out of Substack, right? Correct. So I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to support anything sliding out of Substack. But maybe because you're doing it and you're a trendsetter, I might do it. Mm. Talk. <laughs> so uh, let's get into what we read uh, from this past week, Todd. I'm going to turn things over to you to start things off. Right. And I'm going to do the book we were both looking forward to the most. Nice House on the Lake, uh, book nine, written by James Tinney and the fourth art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. Um, at this point, the characters are tr- have had their mind wiped. So they're deciding, like, you know, what to do to get in contact with the outside world. You know, they're building the radio. Various people are, are doing other things while this is going on. Walter is having a discussion with Nora, who was one of the original characters in the house, but now she's trapped in the other house, as they call it, and she's trying to get messages out to uh, the other people. And she's basically, I I do like the the thing that she's doing because it does give us a recap of everything that's going on. Um, And the people outside the house are slowly figuring out the things that, they figured out earlier on in the book, but they had their mind wiped. Um, but the thing that I'm most interested in, in most interested in is Nora's interaction with Walter, who's Walter's like, listen, I want you to help me figure all this out because if it doesn't work, everybody dies. I want everybody to live. And she's like, listen, you have to, you have to make me see what you're seeing. I have to understand what you know, the decisions you make. And I don't understand them now. So show me everything and maybe, you know, I can come to the conclusions that you do, because from my point of view, you don't make any sense. And Walter's like, I'm going to give you information or show you things um, that, you know, will make you see my point of view. And that leads into maybe next issue or the next couple, couple issues. And that's the most interesting part. Um, I really like Nice House on, on the Lake, but I feel like with, you know, this being a 12-parter, um, like... This issue, once again, we found out information that we knew already. The characters found out information that they knew. I feel like that they maybe could have condensed this into an eight-parter or a ten-parter 
if that makes any sense, and not give every character their own. But once again, it's such a great book that I love it. But I just feel like I'm like, oh, I think we could have. I think we could have got here a little sooner, if that makes any sense, Joe. So I'm of a different mindset in that th- I get that you're saying that we could have got here a little bit sooner. My thought process is we've introduced all these characters for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I think if we introduce these characters and we don't give them their bits to do, then maybe at the end people are going to be like, well, why was this character even here? They did nothing, right? Which is, you know, sometimes just the way that life works. Right. But sometimes I think with storytelling, um, and obviously I can't speak for James Tinian himself, but I would assume every character that's been introduced has been introduced for a reason. They're going to have some sort of part that they play in whatever the finale of this is. My my concern, and again, not a negative concern, but just concern in regards to talking about this book on the show is we are now in the back half, the back nine of this, if you will, right? Right. So it, we're at a point where any discussion that we're going to have about this is going to start treading really uh, heavily into spoilery talk. Right. Or it's going to start delving into stuff that makes no sense if you haven't read the previous eight or nine issues. I get what you're saying. So I know the Mad Bases had um, uh, pitched right. that maybe like if there's a book that's been our book of the month for three months in, or three months in a row or three times in a row, then it can no longer be our pick of the week. Right. And that doesn't make any sense because the book I want to read is the book I want to read. You know what I mean? I'm with like, you and I was going to bring this up maybe at, like I meant to bring it up beforehand, but I get what you're yeah. saying because – I do believe, and we've discussed this before. I would like to talk about more different things. Yeah. And I made a, I made a, like a New Year's resolution. I remember it was this year, or last year. I was like, I'm going to try new number one, so we can do different things on the show. But there's no time that that I'm not going to want to talk about Human Target, if that makes any sense when it comes right. out. Right. So it's it's going to be the book I'm looking forward to six months in a row. Saga is going to be the book I'm looking forward to six months in a row. And it's t- to me tough to talk about a book that I'm like. Oh, I don't know if I want to read this or not. You know what I mean? Like I do because I'm buying it. I, I don't know. I don't want to go on and on about it. But no, no. I, and I, I will say that you have picked up a few books here and there, and I'm like, okay, well, it's a new number one. Let me hop on and read it with Todd, and then you stick with the book, and I don't because I didn't like it as much as you, right. or vice versa. Like I have something that's new, you read it for the show, and it doesn't strike you the same way that it strikes me. And, you know, our time, your time, our listeners' time is precious. So to make you read a book weeks in a row or months in a row that you have no interest in is a time and a money sink for you. It's a time sink for our listeners and so on and so forth. There are times where, you know, you feel strongly enough about a book or I feel strongly enough about a book where I don't care if you read it or not or you don't care if I read it or not. I'm talking about it, you know? Yeah, yeah, and the other thing was, and I always take this to heart, Joe. This is one thing that you said that stuck with me for a long, long time. Is if don't you're forget not to bring a towel. Any... No. What? What did you say? I said, don't forget to bring a towel. Right, or have at least three knives on you. Right. Um, <laughs> my thing is, if we're having fun, the listeners having fun. If that makes any sense. Sure. So I'm like, oh, like I have so much fun talking about a human target or saga or nice house on the lake that that's why it gets bumped to the top. If that yes. makes any sense. Right. It's just that because saga saga is not finite, of course, like this arc is it's going to come back whenever it comes back. 
um, Human Target is going to get to a point. Like when we talked about the last issue of Human Target, we had to tiptoe around something huge that happened in the book. Yep. So I don't think that hurt the enjoyment of the book because it was more or less a cliffhanger. It's something that we're going to be able to talk about when the book picks back up, right? Right. And by that point, with there being a six-month gap in between these two issues, if you haven't read it by then, you ain't going to read it ever. So we're just going to move forward. But Nice House on the Lake is less than six days old, and I don't want to be the show that spoils this on you. Hey, listen, it's it's a tightrope that we have to walk, Joe. Yeah. Like, that's why when we talk about the movies and the TV shows, we save that for the very, very end of the show. Or if something happens in a book, and it is super spoiler heavy, I put timestamps in there so people can skip it. I'm using all of this to avoid talking about what happens in this issue of Nice House in the Lake, number nine, so I don't spoil it for people. I'm with you, and I hope I didn't, you know, bring anything up that you thought was a spoiler. No, no, no. You, You did, you know, like I said, I... I would have been writing down time codes if you did, but you right. didn't. So you're and, and good. I'm with you. And I was going to bring up the time codes thing because there's certain like when we did the first issue of Nice House on the Lake, I believe there was time codes because like I was the one who brought up. I'm not saying like I, you know, I was the first person who thought of it, but the things on the cover was it led to each, you know, character of the show, the symbols on the covers. And then I was like, here's all my here's all my uh, ideas of what's going to happen. I'm I'm I'm. I'm laying it out there, and I'm like, Joe, I think we have to do a time code on this one. You know what I mean? Right. But for the most part, we go, uh, or their books like, let's just say we talked about Silver Surfer Rebirth. It's like, oh, Thanos and Silver Surfer team up to, you know, fight stuff in the Infinity Gauntlet era. It's like, we really don't have to talk about spoilers here. You know what I mean? Like, right. we don't have to worry, kind of stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I kind of get what you're saying. Right. Walking a tightrope and kind of moving on to the next book, of course, which is Little Monsters number four, uh, written by Jeff Lemire with art by Dustin Nguyen. It's the continuation of these kids that have banded together uh, that are all vampires. And each issue, we've kind of gotten a little bit of information about each one or in this instance, two uh, of the group. Right. Mm-hmm. And we kind of see how all of their origins are more or less the same. We kind of see um, the, the the rift that's happening between uh, the group, where there's the group, of course, that got the taste of human blood. And again, it's four issues in. We can say it, right? Right. And, then, and so the other thing is, if it's in the solicitation text, I feel yeah. comfortable about talking about it, you know? Fair enough. Um, so if it's in the solicitation text, they get the taste of human blood, but then you have your other group, um, that's a much smaller splinter group that, you know, maybe isn't leaning that way just yet. Maybe they think there's another way to live. Uh, we still have that looming threat of, I assume, the adult that kind of turned them all, that popped up at the end of issue one that we haven't seen since. And mm-hmm. we do get a little tiny bit of clunky telegraphy dialogue in this. Maybe. But other than that, I've really been enjoying this book. It's a lot of fun. And again, I say fun in the way that a gothic horror about children vampire can be fun. Um, I have a big love for the two creators on this book because I was yeah. doing Descender and Ascender. So naturally, I 
I go in with a with a love of like their stuff. I'm with, but I'm with you on everything you said. But it's kind of like they do do something towards the end of this book that um, kind of reminds me of something they let they ended us an earlier book on this and I'm not all in on yet. And I don't believe if that makes any sense, I don't want to spoil it as we just discussed, but I'm like, cause in a book with vampires that I don't under- completely understand the rules, I don't know how it works, but I'm leaning towards that's big. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy it. I just enjoy the look of this book. I enjoy the fact that it's a, it's a stealth black, white and red book kind of a deal. Yes. Um, just all about it. I, I, I'm on board and slowly and to a lesser extent, cause I never really discussed ascender and descender on this book, which I should have done more, but the fact that they didn't really have a jumping on point for most of those two runs was, you know, was a hindrance, but these are two creators that I've come around on that they're kind of a Kyle Stark. They're an Ed Brubaker. They're, for me, I'm not going to equate them to Ed Brubaker because that's a big that's a big bar to get over. But for me, anytime these two guys work together, I will buy this book sight unseen. Yeah, like Jeff Lemire is definitely on that. And I've always been a fan of uh, Dustin DeWin's stuff. Uh, you know, I know he was doing those, like that little, that little Gotham book. So good. So it looked beautiful. Yeah. It was one of the more beautiful looking books and he's really, he's really one of the top like artists who don't get a lot of credit. I think these days he doesn't get the recognition he deserves. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. He, he should be spoken of like the way that people would speak about a Jim Lee or the Rob back in the nineties today. Yes, I honestly believe he he needs the right thing to catch fire. Yeah. That's what, you know what I mean? Like we discussed like Kyle Starks, we just, these up and comers that like they just need the right project. And I'm trying like Tom Taylor, all these guys were like you these are the guys right on the cusp. And definitely Dustin Wynn is right on the cusp for me. Just the right project is going to send him over the edge. Right. And I, jo- you know, and again, we joke and say, Dustin Nguyen just needs that right project. He's been doing comics for like 20 plus years, you know? Yeah, but it's a tough road to hoe. Like, it you know is. What I mean? like, 100%. Like, sure. We, we talk about any, you know, industry, whatever. Like how many guys have, you know, like in you with wrestling or comics or music, they've been, you know, on the road for 20 years. And it's like, boom. All right. That 20th year that they found whatever they needed. So right, and again, they're they're a twenty year overnight sensation. You know what? I'm trying to remember who said that. I I want to say it was it was like it was uh, Fabok. Fabok used that in an interview. He's like, yeah, I'm a I'm a uh, twenty year overnight sensation. I'm like, I love that phrase. Right. No, no, I know lots of people, uh, you know, in all all walks of life that are kind of that way. And it's just the way life is sometimes, you yep, know? Yep. Any day now, this podcast is going to take off, Joe. That's right. Well, we need at least another... <sighs> We're coming up on 10 years here soon. Maybe 11 years? Is that Three Guys from Nowhere 10 years? That's going all the way back to Three Guys Ooh. from Nowhere's time, too. Still need to do that three-man, uh, you know, reminisce show, so... Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, so that's what we read last week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home. However it is, you get your books before warned, before armed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. 
Uh, Todd is currently in the lead with four correct guesses over me. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see if we could flip-flop and change some of these things up. Uh, I think the book that Todd is most looking forward to coming out this week, looking at his list, scratching my th- my chin, is Dark Crisis number one. It is, with a caveat. I have no faith in this book. Right. But I am going to try it. And even if I don't like it, it goes in the crisis box, if that makes any sense. Oh, I've I've got a crisis box as well. i got a couple of them here in the office. Right. But that is, like, 100%. Like, I'm going to read it, and it is literally going to be the, uh, like, the test. I'm going to know instantly. So, uh, yes, you are 100% right. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea you don't have many books, but I'm going to just take a swing because... I have this. I have more. I have the same number of. I have more books than you this week. Right, but I I kind of look at certain <laughs> books. Like, let's put it this way: Batman is ending, and we haven't talked about it in how many months. Batman's not your book. What you don't have to tip your. Hand Are you going to do process of elimination? No, but I'm just using it as. So you take that one away. One, I have four. You have one, two, three, four, five. Um, so like, I really have to, in my head, I have three books to pick from, um, is, and uh, it's one of those that they're all even money. They're 33 and a third for me. I was going to say, you got some Todd Steiner math going on here. (laughs) Don't get me started. I am wearing a chain mail cloak. So, um, but is the book you're looking forward to most Thor 26? It is. Okay, I didn't know. I was going to say because it was down to Invincible Red Sonya 9, which is hurts because it's late. That's a book I love, but any late book got, like drops down. And Dark Knights of Steel, I know you were a big fan of that. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Thor, uh, Thor 26. Um, you know, no knock on anything else. It's just what am I reading first when I get home? Um, and again, I feel, you know, there was a big cliffhanger thing kind of sort at the end of the last issue of the crossover. Right, right. And again, I, you know, Thor and Hulk merged, and it's right on the cover of the next issue. So I'm okay talking about it, right? <laughs> right. I think it's in the solicits. So it's one of right. your rules. It's either on this, if it's on the cover or in the solicits, we could talk about it, right? Do you know how many times we'll, I'll be like tiptoeing around a book and you'll be like, Todd, it's on the cover. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even look at the covers. I just buy the A covers. I don't know. Right. Well, so this is this is one of those ones where, you know, I get the links for when I do the post for the show, right? Right. And I look at the link, and the link has the A cover, and the A cover has the merged Hulk <laughs> Thor right on the cover. Right, right. And I'm like, okay, well, it's right on the cover, so it's not that big of a cliffhanger, I guess. Right, we can talk about it. No right. spoilers involved. So the Batman thing is the Batman is... Um, this is the end of Josh Williamson's run. This is his last issue. Right. And the last, like, three issues have been part of a crossover that I haven't been reading all of the crossover of. I'm with you. I'm buying those three issues of Batman. Yeah. So I have a three-issue Batman gap in my run when uh, Chip Zdarsky comes on. Right. And it's one of those things where, like, issue... Like issue 122 was part two of his fight with Deathstroke that crossed over from the Deathstroke book. Yeah, yep. 
And I'm like, I don't need to buy the Deathstroke book. I know what happens in Batman and Deathstroke fight, you know? Let me ask you an honest question. Have you even read any of the Batman since, like, you know, it started into this giant crossover? No. Me it's been either. fallen to the bottom of the pile. Exactly. And I don't even read them. They just go in my Batman box. Yeah. And it's one of those because I was reading it and I enjoyed the Josh Williams. But then when I found out we were three issues into the Josh Williams run that it was going to be a giant 15-part crossover, I'm like, well, I have one to 122, and I'm buying 125. Ah, three issues ain't going to kill me. If I ever decide to sell the run, I have the whole run. Yeah. That's the way I look at things, in the weird Todd way. So. And I ain't, see, I ain't seeing you or me sell the run, so. No, I'm with you. Yeah. All right. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done, whether it be uh, past episodes of this show, past episodes of After Dark, uh, or the current ongoing placement of Todd and Joe Have Issues, a.k.a. The Silver Standard, The Battle for Second Place, a.k.a. Todd and Joe Go Rogue. Uh, we have the results from last week, uh, and sadly... Uh, the path of rage of manslaughter Marsdale has come to an end mm -hmm. as he is defeated by the penny plunderer who moves on to the next round. Yes, sirree. So this week's matchup uh, is, you know, and just this is the way that everything kind of fell uh, with the way that uh, Grinch McScrooge put the uh, bracketing together that there would be a chance that there would be a couple instances where we would get a Batman versus a Batman villain or a Spider-Man versus a Spider-Man villain. And that's just kind of sort of how things worked out here. Uh, as this week, we have uh, someone who I had move on from the previous round, uh, which is uh, Chai Tlock, the whatever he was. He was like the half chicken, half whatever man. Right. The half chicken, half cow person. And uh, he is taking on uh, one of my top picks that I had, and that is the White Rabbit. Mm -hmm. So the White Rabbit. So it's two Spider-Man people going head to head. And again, my apologies. Chai talk the chick and cow because he's Oof. half chicken, half cow, right? Right. But it's all spelled weird. C H E hyphen K apostrophe N space K A U. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, while I think that is a uh, fantastically bad Spider-Man villain, uh, White Rabbit is also a fantastically bad Spider-Man villain, wherein that she has an Alice in Wonderland theme in the wrong universe. Like if White Rabbit was in Batman's universe, she would probably be a top 10 villain as right. opposed to in Spider-Man's universe. She's a top five worst of all time. Right, she'd be hanging out with the Mad Hatter. Yes, she has no special abilities. She has no, like, she just has, like, average, you know, like, weaponry skills. She has average, like, agility. She has average fighting skills. She just happens to be dressed up like the, like a scantily clad version of the White Rabbit from Alice in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. And I would say her only saving grace is that she's currently the number two uh, to Tombstone in the current uh, Zeb Wells Spider-Man book. Right, and wasn't she in, like, whatever, uh, who did uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man? 
Uh, 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 Steve Lieber and, and Nick, Nick Spencer. Spencer. Yes. Because there was a book, like, when he was doing the Spider-Man book, she teamed up with the Beatle and everything like that. So there was that superior foes vibe that gives her the bump. As far she as was I'm- Right. So it was, there was the female Beatle mm-hmm. who is Tombstone's daughter. Right. Who did, like, the women, like, the evil women's sinister syndicate, right? Right. And it was, like, her, the female Electro, the female Scorpion, and then White Rabbit was in there. And even in there, White Rabbit was kind of bleh. But, like I said, right now, she's the number two, like, she's the right-hand woman of Tombstone in the current Spider-Man books. So I guess, is she being used in a positive way in those books? Yes, because I'm reading those books. Um, is she Chai Talk the Chicken Cow? I don't know. That's up to you, the voters, you know? Right. So as a person who has to, you know, be on the other side as the Batman villains, I'm begging people to vote for the White Rabbit because Chai Talk the Chicken Cow, Bat, whatever, I don't even know, looks ridiculous. I think... Any character I have will move on easier against the White Rabbit. So if you're Team Batman, if you're Team Batman, vote that White Rabbit is lamer because it's going to give me, I believe, in my heart of heart, the easier ride to the victory lane. So please vote White Rabbit if you're a Batman fan. Or if you're, you believe White Rabbit's even like go that way too, but do not vote for Chai Talk. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Todd's opinion. The voting will go up tomorrow. Um, We'll piece all that stuff together then. Hey, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that we have there. Uh, Go check out our store. We can get shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Uh, This weekend, up to the 12th of June, is 40% off. Over at the T Public Store, tinyurl.com slash longboxheroes, where you can get designs inspired by this show, After Dark, Add Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Hit My Music, on anything and everything from cell phone covers to notebooks. Uh, you can also sign up for our Patreon. As little as a dollar a month is going to give you two bonus shows. If you like Todd and myself and you want more, We have two shows we do monthly on top of this. One is Piro Mounties, where we look at the films of independent filmmaker Mark Piro. The other, Previewing the Past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog. Uh, We're getting ready to record June 1992 this (laughs) weekend, and I was perusing the catalog as we put the full catalog scans up on the Patreon as well. Uh, And they are advertising its Image Month coming up. So this could be like the first official appearance of Image outside of the Malibu banner, you know? Right, right. Uh, But I really haven't gotten a chance. I was just perusing stuff. I was just uploading the, uh, the scans of things before we started recording. Um, once you get to a certain number of scans, Patreon doesn't like, they're just like, yeah, we're just going to sit on like these last 20 for 15 minutes and then we're going to time out and you're going to have to just do them all again. Right. I look at it as, um, I'm just going to cry you a river because you know what? Scan those 300 pages (laughs) and then come talk to me. I've been so lazy. I think I took two months off between, uh, doing the last previews that I scanned. I need someone to light a fire under me, Joe. Well, we have until Dece- I, we have up to, up to December in the can. Um, 
for this what like what's been scanned. So give me two months. I say take the summer off and then start fresh in September with scanning more issues, right? Well, let me say this, Joe. We have, and you don't have them yet. We have till 1993, March scanned. Oh, okay. They just haven't been put on a flash drive and given to you. Gotcha. And like I said, that's as little as a dollar a month. At $5 a month, you're going to get those two bonus shows two weeks before everyone else. And you're going to get After Dark two days before everyone else. So you can listen to these in the correct listening order. Uh, Another way that you can help us out is by making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon click-through. It's the banner at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. And the link is also in the show notes to every single one of these episodes, no matter where you find the episodes. Uh, I've noticed that if you are signed up for our Patreon, whether you pay for it or not, and you use that RSS feed, sometimes these episodes go up a little bit earlier there than they do up on the main feed. Right, right. Uh, some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include uh, somebody purchased uh, Nice House on the Lake, number nine, digital uh, edition, right? Right. Uh, somebody also purchased a two-pack of Apple earbuds wired with lightning connection. Okay. Uh, somebody purchased 100 feet of picture hanging wire. That sounds like a hit, man. <laughs> no, you you, use, you don't use picture hanging wire. You use piano wire, or I mean, I don't know what you would do. I I think you could, and and I think you can garrote somebody with that. I'm mm. telling you. Uh, somebody also purchased Clean Smart CPAP disinfectant spray pack of two. Mm. And somebody also purchased a Tessin brand international travel plug with two USB type G outlet adapters. Right. Uh, this is specifically for traveling uh, to the UK or Brit or England or Scotland or Ireland or Hong Kong or otherwise. I'd like to hope it's someone who's doing a tour of quarries that were in classic Doctor Who episodes. Oh so, my goodness. Because in the classic run, every like alien world was just a random quarry in Britain somewhere. <laughs> so and literally that's one of the things that they would say about Doctor Who. They'd be like, Doctor Who is just running down because they would do one haul and shoot it from various angles and you would run down it like different ways. So it looked like it was you know, a thousand feet of hall. And then the other thing was, here's our quarry that we shot this, this, this alien planet in. So please tell me it's for that. Is this what inspired you and your family to steal that quarry? Um, it was part of it. I was like, if we can get Dr. Who to come to America and film in our quarry, I would have the biggest blank eating grin you've ever seen. Oh, uh, jelly baby eating. grin. Somebody was talking about jelly babies today, and I'm like, mm, jelly jelly babies are good. They almost killed me, but they're good. So thanks to everyone uh, for any and all of your purchases through the Amazon click-through, whether it be this week, this month, this year, or this whenever. Uh, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We did not have any art attacks, so short All show. right. Well, then it looks like we can get into some spoiler-filled TV talk, eh? Yes, sirree. 
All right. Well, if you have not watched the latest episode of Obi-Wan, and we're always a week behind on those because the new episodes come out on Wednesdays, which is right after these episodes go live, or you haven't seen the first three episodes of The Boys, season three that came out this past Friday, we bid you adieu. Thanks for listening to episode 609, Longbox Heroes. And uh, I'm just going to take a drinky poo uh, before we start talking about Obi-Wan. No problem. I have notes. I have lots of notes. Okay. I do like the fact that they're on their way to the author of The Godfather, uh, Mario Puzo's planet. So that's kind of fun. Oh. A lot of planet hopping in this. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, we're three episodes in, right? And uh, Obi-Wan is doing his best to get uh, baby Princess Leia. Oh, my God. She's not a baby. She's supposed to be like eight to ten years old, right? Right. Somewhere in that, even though the actress who plays her looks very young. Amazing um, actress. Amazing. But we ahead. didn't get a chance. That's what I hear. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't get a chance uh, to really see what young Luke looks like. Um, but uh, Obi-Wan is still trying in vain, desperately, to contact Qui-Gon Jinn. And mm-hmm. the fact that we've spent three of the last three episodes of him trying in vain... To do so, I have a feeling that he's going to finally contact Qui-Gon either at the end of the second to last episode or sometime in the last episode. Right? Wait a minute, Joe. Liam Neeson, who may share a birthday with one of us, um, right. said that they never contacted him to do anything until recently. And he's going to do an animated, like he's going to do his voice for a cartoon. So I 100% believe actors now that say they're not in things. So why would you doubt Liam Neeson? He's not in this. There's no way he's going to show up because we keep talking about him episode after episode. I'm with you. I laugh that, that like that he said that into a microphone in an interview. I will say maybe Liam Neeson's doesn't know um, the difference between an animated thing and mm-hmm. when they do like the Jedi ghost astral projection thing. Right. And but, maybe that's like his loophole, you know? Right. But he gets to lie because you know that was shot with the director, the writer, and him. And it's like everybody has a non disclosure contract. And it's like, well, if somebody leaks this, we shot this one day on a green screen. Um, we're going to know it's one of the three of us who, who said something and we're going to sue you into oblivion. Right. Now, I also want to mention, um, we get a prolonged sequence of Darth Vader preparing for the day. Right. And I will say needlessly elaborate. Okay. Um, Um, is he, and I say he, Darth Vader that important to uh, the force sensitivity of things that the Emperor needs to go through such lengths to keep him alive. Yes, because he, if you do all the movies, like he literally, like Immaculate Conception, the greatest Jedi, you know what I mean? Like, sure, because he created them according to those 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 uh, those uh, last three movies. So I get it. I I actually like the prolonged thing because I do believe if Lucas had the technology in you know eighty and eighty three, maybe he would have went that route. You know to make him more machine than man, if you will. So I, I that doesn't bother me. But in all this, I I would have shortened the explanation of this movie. It'd be like. 
Leah or this TV show would be like Leah and Obi-Wan are going to Marpuzo and uh, Vader shows up and the end of episode. And pretty much now I like to believe that this show shouldn't be called Obi-Wan Kenobi. It should be called the Vader family because that's really what the show's about. Mm-hmm. Now there's a couple bits where Vader is attempting to like use force sensitivity to root out Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's him picking up his daughter, Leia, instead? I don't think so, because if he had, he would have picked it out when it was in New Hope. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Because uh, she's next to him in the movie. Yeah. He doesn't know. I definitely feel because he says it in New Hope, he's like, a presence I haven't felt in many, many years. And there's that cool, like, it's, I call it the Vader strut as he's walking into town. And then it's like, everybody's like, ooh, here comes Vader. And he stops and everybody's like, I don't know what's worse, him marching toward us or him stopping. And that's when he kind of like cocks his head and he's like, Obi-Wan's here. I can feel him. And I definitely think it's Obi-Wan that he feels. Uh, So we get uh, what I'm going to consider a bit of a clumsy bit where uh, uh, Obi-Wan and Leia go with Feck or Freck. Yep. Zach Braff from Scrubs. Uh, I'm not sure what that is. Uh, On a little transport to get across the planet. Uh, He's an Empire sympathizer. So he picks up some stormtroopers along the way. Right. And. Within seconds, Obi-Wan completely forgets the lie, the elaborate lie that they've chosen to formulate for each other. It's like, I'm your father, you're my daughter, your mother's dead, here are our fancy names, we're farmers, we come from this different planet. And then within seconds of being questioned, he calls Leia the wrong name. Right. I will also say this, uh, the, the character who's driving the truck... Um, is the most saga character looking I've ever seen in a TV show. Yes, uh, yes. I was, I was like, okay, this is now I want to see a saga TV show. But I'm with you, and he gets, you know, his just desserts. He gets knocked out. He didn't get killed, but even as he was doing all the emperor, the empire sympathizing stuff, I'm like, you got on the wrong thing. And I'm really hoping it comes around too with young Leia, like realizing that she can't be, she can be headstrong in certain situations, but like. Now, Obi-Wan screwed up, but they should have never gotten on that truck. Do you know what I mean? They Correct. should have walked. So I'm hoping that comes, you know, into play later, like I say. Uh, also, um, it did, was there a mention in this of uh, Obi-Wan having a brother? Yes, he says he vaguely remembers a brother and his family because the younglings are taken away at such a young age. Yeah, so is this the first time in Star Wars canon that we're told that Obi-Wan has a brother? Um, in all the TVs, well, in everything that I've seen, yes. I didn't watch, like, all the Clone and Bad Batch and all that stuff, but that's the first I'm hearing of it, and I don't know how much the extended universe in the novels and stuff like that, because a lot of that got wiped away. It's the first, I, I was actually kind of shocked, so. Right. And then when Vader shows up in that little town and starts slaughtering people, so we get a bit where, like, Reva has been working very closely with Darth Vader mm-hmm. um, to root out and find Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. So I feel as though as being, like, the third sister or the fifth sister or whatever she is, 
and her goal is to be the Grand Inquisitor, and she killed the previous Grand Inquisitor. And then there's the guy who was, like, with them as well. He's like, no, there's a pecking order to all of this. And she's like, well, I, you know, was talking to Vader today, right? Mm-hmm. He spent his 45 minutes in his back to tank getting assembled so he could, like, casually stroll over and sit in a chair and talk to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So, like, when Vader shows up, like, do they do a bit where she's, like, taken aback by him just, like, recklessly and wantonly, like, snapping necks of children? Maybe, because I do believe, I'm starting to, in my mind, where this story is going, is Reva was one of those kids, as we discussed. Right. And because Vader both killed a bunch of the younglings and was part of Order 66, I believe like the redemption arc that you talked about is coming is she's she wants to get Obi-Wan to because she blames Obi-Wan for mentoring Vader. And she's like, I'm going to kill Obi-Wan first and then I'm getting Vader and I'm out. If that. Oh, so you think she's like she's like, oh, sucking up to Vader now. She's going to deliver Obi-Wan to Vader, maybe in the hopes that, like, these two goofballs kill each other. Or whittle one down, plus she's using the resources Vader. Like, I don't want to kill Vader, because Vader's giving me all the resources at his disposal to get Obi-Wan. So the the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of a deal. And then once it's all over, I want to wreck you all and then get, get out of here. I don't know. Uh, That's just my idea. Right. And then, you know, we get the bit at the end where we have the person who's like the Empire, like she's working with the Empire, but she's the contact person for Obi-Wan and Leia. Mm-hmm. They get right. OK, so, yeah. So she then takes Tala. Uh, I'm sorry, Tala. But go ahead. Right. OK, so Tala or whatever her name is takes Leia while Obi-Wan goes to confront Vader or be on the run from Vader uh, Vader gets Obi-Wan and, like, in a real cool scene, uses his lightsaber to, like, make a giant fire on the ground. Right. And then force pulls Obi-Wan through it. Yep, to burn him like he did. Right. And I'm like, oh, that's that's some sadistic stuff. Okay. We're going to talk about that, but do you have anything else before you and go then on? I was the- say, and, then, and then Reva shows up at where... Leia was supposed to meet the other pilot, but Leia, of course, knows that uh, Reva is evil, or is she? Sort of thing. Because now she kind of sort of runs into Leia, and it's like, is she going to, you know, whatever. Obviously, Vader and Leia aren't going to run into each other, or we would have heard about it. You know what I mean? Um, But uh, the fire thing, and it was Adam, when we were doing Porch Talk, brought this up, which I found interesting. Because Vader does the thing, he, he knocks the mining stuff over, which is flammable, lights it. And he burns, he burns Obi-Wan. So then he puts the fire out, right? And then uh, Tala shows up and she sh- uses her blaster to relight the fire. And the droid that we see that we really didn't mention, doesn't matter. He's a, he's a worker droid, ends up grabbing Obi-Wan and leaving. Why didn't Vader put the fire out again? Right. You know what I mean? Like, which I think is when Adam brought that up, I was like, all right, I didn't really think about that. My mind was in other places, a la the Reva redemption arc. I have a feeling there's something like, he's like, I want Obi-Wan to lead me somewhere. Or there's that whole, like the whole arc of in the movies is there's still good in him. And he's like, ah, maybe I shouldn't kill my good buddy, but I'm still evil. Whatever. I don't know. I think that that's going to pop up in episode five, uh, four, five or six. If that makes okay. sense. Okay. 
These are notes that I had. Sorry. So, uh, and I think that's that's uh really it. And then they mentioned Protocol Twenty Three, like Order Sixty Six. Right. Uh, somebody needs to create a list of all these different protocols and orders and so on and so forth. Put it with the hanky code or whatever. Yeah. Right. So that's all I got on Obi-Wan. Uh, that's pretty much all I have, other than it was cool to see Vader and Obi-Wan. But like you said, when they were on the truck and he, he that's the one last thing I have is Obi-Wan gives up their, their position by being stupid. It's like he must really have ring rust because why didn't he use the Jedi mind trick on any of them? You know what I mean? Ring rust, he says. Yeah, I mean uh, Jedi rust. There you go. Uh, so, hey, let's uh, move over to the boys, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it was three episodes. So it's going to be tough for us to kind of like, we're not going to be like, oh, here's all of episode one and here's all of episode two and here's all of episode three. Uh, you know, it's a big three-hour story, right, to kind of set everything up for the rest of the season, I would assume. Um, so we're just going to kind of get into it, right? Yep. So uh, it's been a year-ish since the last season. So it's been like a year-ish, like from here. And the mo- it starts off with the uh, <laughs> the Justice League movie sort of thing, like the Dawn of the Seven. Which, by the way, I want to watch that movie, Joe. Okay. So the only thing that I want to watch more than this movie is what aired in the boys' universe of the Homelander birthday special. That, not just what we saw. I want to see the whole special. And any previous Homelander birthday yes, special. Yes, yes, yes. But I will say this. In the, the Dawn of the Seven, they all show up and there's all that cool footage of the, the actors who play the characters. And then uh, uh, Stormfront, who's the Nazi, and it's Charlize Theron. Yes. I popped hard joke because i literally thought they were just gonna do the whole like because they kept shooting her like her hands and the electrical powers i'm like oh well because she's a nazi they're not gonna show the like they're not gonna use the actress footage because she's both you know she's darth vadered and all this stuff and then when it turned out to be Charlize Theron, i'm like well played and then at the premiere when the director is like because he's supposed to be snyder and he's like i'm a fraud during the scene in the in the bathroom stall i'm like yes i'm like oh boy i'm I'm hoping the snyder bronies get wind of this (laughs) they're playing fast and loose with a lot of like (laughs) referencing real life events Uh uh-huh uh in this so um you know, and obviously we're kind of, kind of going to be all over the place mm-hmm. with the telling of this. So, you know, if you watch this, this all makes sense. Um, you know, Huey is working at the with the CIA and uh, is using the rest, like the boys that are left, uh, which is uh, Frenchie, Butcher, uh, and Kamiko, essentially to bring in or take down or whatever supers that are out there doing whatever. And they are being fed Intel from the inside by Maeve. Right. So we get the bit of them, you know, we don't need to see a ton of it. We just get to see them going to the party and, uh, the bit with termite. Right. Right. Which is, which is something I never thought I'd see on TV, but go ahead. 
Well, this entire show has given me a lot of things that I never thought I would see on TV. And there's a lot that happens in these episodes that I have to question to you, who doesn't like horror and gore and all sorts of things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw somebody tweet uh, earlier today that the fo- the special effects people on The Boys have perfected the making the digital effect of someone exploding. And by gum, they're going to use it in every episode. <laughs> okay, we'll discuss the gore. Um, I don't know what it is. It doesn't bother me. Okay. Like, like the exploding. And then later on, there's like somebody missing a jaw and stuff happens. We've had head crushing in this and I've watched walking dead. I think when there's the, it's, this show is so cool. I don't know. There's something that doesn't bother me, but I will say, I'm not going to jump the gun. There's something in this episode I had to look away from just, Oh, Look away from and did not watch the the whole scene. So, so um, the the main crux of this season is is Homelander's gone out of control, right? Um, which is to no surprise to anyone, I would say. Um, he essentially is at one point is threatened with the release of that flight footage mm-hmm. going out, and he essentially tells uh, Starlight, "Like, good, go ahead, release it." That'll just give me an excuse to kill everyone. Right. I would like to argue things a little different. I have a different vision of Homelander in this, in the first three episodes. Okay. Is Homelander, and it's weird because I felt, and I don't want to say I felt bad for Homelander, but Homelander was very pathetic in the first two episodes. Yes. Because, because you know how, like, he had a couple of moments where he had that psychotic look and the the the, the shrilling sound was over, like he's, he's going to break. But everybody had everything all over him. He's like, he's trying and he's pathetic. He's like, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And Edgar's, like, knocking me down. Starlight's knocking me down. He, he can't get over on anybody. And then he ends up snapping at the, the birthday special and because he tells it like it is Joe, and I don't know if you know anybody else who ever did that in the history of like, you know, in front of a microphone, he gets over with uh, the, the middle-aged white man in middle America or whatever. And he's like, okay, if I'm really me, they love me. I've been fake all this time, but I'm going to be the dirtbag me and everybody loves me. And that's when it changes. He, he becomes, he comes back to being Homelander. And that's when he goes, you're going to take a, you're going to show that video starlight you're going to take away me being loved fine if i'm going to be loved i'll be feared and he comes back to being full on oh my god homelander we have to worry about kind of a deal cuz up to that point i was like they they have him every which way to sunday we don't have to worry about homelander well i will say this as downtrodden uh as he may have been there's the scene in episode 2 right mm-hmm. they're like through all three episodes, he's kind of given A-Train uh, a rough time for maybe not having his super speed and still eating as much. He's and maybe putting on he's, Okay, he's fat shaving him, okay? Right. right. And there's the bit where they're in the hallway at Vought and uh, A-Train has the, the milkshake or the frappuccino or whatever it is, right? Right. And Homelander knocks it out of his hands. And they cut back to Homelander, and he has the look, okay? The Homelander look, that maniacal, crazy look that only he can do, this actor, right? Yep. And that's what I'm just like, okay, 
it's going to be a rough episode. And this was before he cuts the speech at his birthday party, you know? <laughs> cuts the speech. Yeah. yeah, he cuts his promo, you know? Mm-hmm. That's his uh, pipe bomb. He calls, uh, <laughs> what's his face at Vought Industries? He calls him a mark. Uh, he uses his shoot name. It was real, right? <laughs> right. And, you know, right. and that's the way it is. I got right, you. Right. So then we get to episode three, and he finds out the numbers are up regarding what he said and all the other stuff that you, you mentioned. And as part of his birthday, they orchestrate like, you know, they have the celebr you know, they have the celebration. Oh. And then there's the person that he's going to go save, right? From the suicide attempt, yes. Right, right. And it's at that time where he finds out Stormfront, who is still alive and essentially like a limbless charred husk. She's Darth Vader. Right. She's got one good hand. <laughs> yes, she does. This is this is a safe show. I'll just say she's got one good hand. <laughs> yep. Um, but she ends up killing herself on Homelander's birthday. Right, Million Dollar Baby style. Right, and Homelander, uh, spoilers for Million Dollar Baby, by the way. <laughs> right. Um, so Homelander sees this on, like, the giant, like, like Tron that's in, like, whatever Vought City is. Um, while he's about to save this girl from uh, killing herself. And, and then after he sees this, he's not so inclined to save her. Maybe he even pushes her off the thing. It's a little unclear, right? Right. So uh, this, and again, all all throughout all of this as well, there's a American Idol type show where they're going to put the next two members of the seven in. Starlight, because her numbers are so high, she has like a 96% approval rating. Uh, They make her co-captain with... Uh, Homelander, she's supposed to have the picks of who the next two members are, but Homelander, because now he's crazy, uh, er, right? Right, and his numbers went up because And he, his numbers went up. Because of the pipe bomb promo. Right, he makes the picks. He picks the one guy who is Starlight's ex-boyfriend from when they were teenagers and brings the Deep back onto the team. right. And then he also takes this time to announce to the world the lie that he and Starlight are dating. Okay. And you, right. And Starlight is like, I have to buy time because we'll get to it. Like, she's like, because he right. says, buy us time. Do whatever you have to do because we're going to figure out this thing that can take out Homelander. Like I said, we'll get to it. And so she she commits to the bit, Joe. And there's the bit where she's like talking and they're like, it's like me. I And Homelander's like, I didn't want to say anything, but we're together. And she starts getting that high pitched shrill in her ears. And I'm like, oh, we flipped the script, Joe. Yeah. Th- that, that was like up and down the first two episodes. I was like, there was parts that I loved and Homelander was like beaten. And I was like, we're back, baby. Homelander has the upper hand. He's a psycho. Everybody else is on the ropes. This is fantastic. And then we get to the deep who I'm going to bring it all around, who is, you know, having a marital relations with his wife in front of the aquarium. And he meets a good buddy who's eight armed. And then Homelander makes him eat it, the, the octopus to Tim. get back on the show. Right. He makes him eat Tim. Yes. Oh my God. I checked out. Early on in that scene, <laughs> I'm like, "What is? 
what is happening? I'm like, this is going to be very, very gross. And then I kind of peeked at the end when Deep is sitting there because he's like, just eat Tim. And he, I cut back and I'm like, can I look? And there's the Deep looking horrified with like octopus ink all over his face. And I'm like, I couldn't, I couldn't, Joe. It was like so gross. Um, but I'm fine with the termite scene. So it's a South Korean delicacy. Yep, yep. Was there a movie about that, old boy? Uh yes. Okay, I thought there was something that 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 I've heard rumors of. So the other, I guess, storyline in regards to all of this uh, is Victoria, who is Huey's counterpart. They have like. They have an interesting relationship at the CIA offices of the Superhuman Affairs. Right. And I, you know how I knew she was a villain, Joe? How? She kept Because stealing. she murdered everyone at the end of season two's finale? No, no, because she kept stealing Huey's bagel. Oh, boy. And I was like, that she had nuclear heat with me, Joe. So while they're at the movie premiere, there's some guy, some photographer there, who keeps calling her Nadia, right? Mm-hmm. Then he shows up at the offices, and then he shows up again when she's leaving, so Huey trails them, and it's at this point where Huey finds out that that Victoria is Nadia, that uh, she does have superpowers, and they have that crazy battle where, like, he's fighting, the, the, the Tony guy is fighting her, and then she's just randomly popping parts of his body off of him while they're fighting. Right. And it's a huge mess in the alleyway. Huey sees that she has powers, and he's like, I've wasted the last year of my life. I've been working alongside this person who has powers. I've essentially just been doing her bidding. I've not been doing good, even though, like, metahuman destruction is down 60%. Uh, She calls someone uh, to come clean up the mess, and they do. And it turns out that it's her adopted father... Uh, what's his face? The guy, Edgar, Edgar, the guy who stole Grogu. Edgar, yes. Right. His name Edgar. And we also like, because basically she's the head popper. Yes. Right. So, so he, he figures that all out. Um, he then tells, uh, butcher this. And he's like, all right, I'm back with you guys. Um, he misses a day of work because Starlight tells him to stay home and he cuts his hand and that's his excuse there to stay home. And then the next day, his excuse to stay home is he has Kamiko break his arm. And you always break the arm on two when you say you're going on three. Whether you're giving someone a shot or you're breaking their arm, if they say three, you go on two. Exactly. That's the way it works, right? That's the rule. So uh, the boys, Billy and uh, Frenchie and everyone else, they are now on the tail of the remnants of the 80s superhero group that uh, the Seven took over, which was called Payback. Mm-hmm. Uh, because their lead, Soldier Boy, who essentially was a Homelander-powered, like a Homelander-level-powered person, who apparently is played by someone from Supernatural, I guess? Y- yes, uh, Jason Cankles, I believe. Right, there you go. I'm letting that one go, because I, I don't know if you're right or wrong. Right. Um. So we then get some flashback stuff of them interfering with, like, the Iran-Contra stuff. Right. And we, we find- then... Right, we then find out that... 
he may or may not be dead, but the Russians definitely have him. Right. And we find out that the woman who was using Butcher, Mallory from the CIA, yes. was involved in all that in the 80s. Right. And Butcher's like, you never told me that they had a gun or that because that's the rumor that could kill supers. Like well, I would have found this years ago. Yeah. So that's so that's the thing is we get the MacGuffin of that weapon that allegedly killed Soldier Boy. And if it's powerful enough to kill Soldier Boy, it'll be powerful enough to take down Homelander. And the first like episode and a half, we're like, eh, maybe we should have that just in case Homelander goes nuts. End of episode two, beginning of episode three, Homelander does go nuts. Now the timetable has been moved up. Now I'm going to say this because I know home uh, Soldier Boy got done differently in the comic. That I don't know. They've changed stuff. That's fine. That, you know, whatever. I honestly don't believe Soldier Boy was ever killed in this. No body, no death. Um, It's told off camera. His girlfriend, who's whatever, she's from The Walking Dead. She was one of the characters. Um, She ends up saying they killed Soldier Boy and the Russians took him. I have a weird feeling that Soldier Boy defected. Like, we're going to find out there's no gun. It's all a, a clever ruse so that the Russians could research Compound V. Uh, I agree. Right. So, but I really like that. And I'm just going to say the woman who was working at the, who was Soldier Boy's girlfriend. I'm sorry, I don't have all the information. Her doing her Disney-esque show. I've never been more mad than when Kamiko and Frenchie go to see her and they just... Corporate, corporate has just taken all like the 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 stuff like the social justice stuff and just turned it on its head. Like they have a booth for Black Life Matters BLTs. Yes, Th- that stuff, Joe, gets me so hot. Like so hot. I'm like, I don't know why it makes me so mad when I'm seeing it. Maybe because I do believe corporations would do that in a heartbeat. If that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Crimson Countess. Right. And by what I mean is corrupt the cause. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, so it's, it's like, oh, we can make money out of this cause. Who cares if we believe in it or not? And I was just like, and there was three or four of them. And I was like, oh my God, they get worse one after the other. Right. So the group was Crimson Countess, the TNT twins, Mm-hmm. The fly guy who gets blown up. <laughs> right. Black Noir, which we get the oh. origins of why he wears the mask. Right, which was heartbreaking. Uh, it was That was one of the more ghastly scenes I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And they lingered on it. Not even that. But because he's like, I, I want to be known for me. I want to take the mask off. And they're like, oh, if you take the mask off because of your ethnicity, you're going to go to some terrible town and then you're going to want the mask to keep warm. And then everything goes sideways and he gets disfigured and he's begging for somebody to hand him the mask to cover his, his horrible face. I'm like, I feel bad for black noir and you're not supposed to feel good for any of the superheroes. So Mm -hmm. these are my elaborate notes, by the way. Sorry. Right. And then of course the stuff with Billy is we are introduced to a new version of Compound V, which is called V24, Mm -hmm. uh, which is going to give people superpowers just for 24 hours, right? Right. 
And the guy who is going to be running for president on the Democratic side is against it just because of the cost effectiveness of it. Uh, Billy goes to a fake NRA rally where gunpowder is there kind of spewing hate and like the sort of things that you would maybe kind of sort of see uh, on an InfoWars type show. Uh, Him and Billy have a shootout in the parking garage and Billy had been given three vials of it Mm -hmm. and he ends up using one and it gives him superpowers. He kind of sort of goes crazy, beats the snot out of and kills gunpowder, cuts his head in half in a car with his heat vision. And he starts to uh, experience some adverse side effects uh, mm-hmm. to having taking the uh, which we call it uh, the the V twenty four right. So I think we are going to see when they find out that there is no gun, there is no weapon that took out Soldier Boy, so therefore there is no gun that is going to take out Homelander. That we are going to get Billy taking the V24 and going toe-to-toe, super-powered up against Homelander. Right, because Frenchie, in a side note, has a whole thing with one of the people that we saw in his origin. She's got got a foul of the Russian mafia, and they're like, oh, Billy's like, we could use that as the end to go find Soldier Boy in Russia. So I I do believe we're going to get an arc in Russia, which is always fun. You know what I mean? Yes. Russian stories. Very convenient that that all happened in the way that it did, but I'm here for it. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. And because I haven't brought it up, uh, cape work in this one was less than stellar. Yeah. Until there's a scene where uh, Homelander has to sit down. And when he does, before he used to just reach back and I'm doing it, you can't see it. And he would pull the cape aside and sit down. It was just kind of, it was very nice. Now, Joe, I have to find the scene. I, I want a gif of it. Um, is he pulls it aside and he does a flourish. So the cape wraps around his arm like a towel. And I'm like that. Okay. That we need more of that, that cape work, please. So there's probably a lot more that we're missing in all of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I really enjoyed this. It was, it was good to have it back. I agree. I was kind of like, "Mm." For the like, a lot liked it for the first two episodes, and then the end of the third episode, the hashtag, what is it, uh, home, home light, light lander, something I don't know, but I was like, it was, it's, it's hashtag home light, right? Just hashtag home light. I'm all for it, so I'm looking forward to the next episode for sure. And then we also have uh, the Miss Marvel show starting this week as well, right? But it'll only be one of each show, so we should be pretty good, yes. So that's it. That's a full show, I'd say, right? Yep. Nice, short, snackable show, as you kids say, I guess. Yeah, as us kids say. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, everyone, uh, thank you for listening to episode 609 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain.
You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.